This is the Context Podcast sponsored by Proofgeist. I'm your host, Jeremy Brown. Welcome to the first episode in a series titled Connecting with Claris. In this series, we chat about the Claris platform with Claris people. Community, platform vision, agile development, Claris Engage, and even how the actual application works are all topics on the table. And we try to include questions the community itself is mulling over at any given time. So this is a good chance to hear directly from the Claris folks about the platform we depend on and thrive in. Andy LaCates, head of community at Claris, joins me today in this first episode to talk all these topics. We talk about the community in general and how their agile process works, why, as of right now, there's no version of FileMaker yet in our inboxes. And of course, we talk about the Claris Engage and its continued online presence in a different manner this year. Andy shares with us his FileMaker origin story, a story that you'll find generally familiar with your own story. So let's begin our first episode of Connecting with Claris. Andy, welcome to the Context Podcast. How are you doing today? Man, I'm doing great, Jeremy. I really appreciate you having me. It's really good to have you here. I think I've I've talked to you in the past, maybe in, in passing at DevCon and, and Virtual mm-hmm. Engage last year, but you and Todd and you and Ernest know each other really well. You, you guys go back a long way? We do. Um, I, it would be hard for me to pinpoint the exact years I've met either of those guys, but I've been working with them obviously throughout the years. Uh, two of my uh, favorite partners in the community, I think great <laughs> thinkers, uh, guys who really advance the the the. Uh, public percept, you know, uh, understanding of the platform, right? I, I've seen presentations from both that have really shaped the way I think about our platform, and so yeah, I have a deep respect for for both and and for you as well, for what it's worth. We have talked at DevCon more than once, and uh, so okay. I'm privileged <laughs> to be here. Well, well, that's good. Um, so, you know, I was I've been with with FileMaker for quite a few years now, and I've gotten to know people at Claris and. When Todd and I started working on this podcast a couple of years ago now, I, I've always thought it would be great to talk with people at Claris. So I'm excited that we get to do this. I'm excited that I get to talk with you and hopefully other people at Claris. Um, I'm informally calling this series Connecting with Claris. Um, I hope everybody gets that. Um, but it, it, the, the purpose of this is to just talk with people from Claris about how the, their thoughts about how they work, how the community looks, and the vision of the platform. And, you know, I, I said at the beginning that um, I'm part of the community and I hear about what the community is talking about. And one thing overall people are really interested in hearing about is what's going on in Claris? How do you all work? What is your vision of the platform? And and so forth. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm, I'm just curious, Andy, why do you think it is that the platform, the developers in the platform are so interested from hearing from the folks at the, now, not the wedge, but wherever your headquarters is. Right on. Why are they interested in hearing from you all? To to me, you know, I I think about our platform and, um, you know, I've I've been working now at Claris for the last 20 years. I came back to the company in in 2000. And um, before that, I worked with Claris in the early 90s, right? So I've been around this platform golly, for 30 plus years. And, and I've been a member of the community. I was a developer. I was doing consulting services on this thing. And, you know, we, we depend on our, we depend on the platform for our livelihoods, right? It's our, it's either the thing that defines our career trajectory, or it's defining the business that we run as a, you know, partner or service provider. And um, 
or it's running the business that we run as just an SMB, you know, business that, that, you know, needs our software. So, you know, I, I think there's a, um, there's a deep uh, seated need to, to have faith in the platform, to trust it, to know it's going in a good direction that, you know, it's treated so many of us so well for decades. We, we kind of like to think that there's some decades in front of us that are just as bright. Right. Yeah. So. You know, here's what I think to answer my own question, but I think we're really interested in the, in hearing from you all because we are kind of all in the, in the same boat together. You are developing the platform and we are dependent on it, but we're also all like, in this together. This community is is a tight-knit community. At DevCon, we actually get to meet the engineers who are working on the platform and actually doing the coding and, and talk to you and Brad and others. So you're you're much more accessible. And I think that that makes it more it makes it more interesting for us as developers to want to hear from you more consistently or in a consistent manner. Um, yeah, I, I think companies in the modern era have to be pretty transparent oh, and need to be connected yeah. with their customers. And it, it's it's beyond just a, a sort of business uh, transactional relationship, right? And I think this goes for a lot of vendors, but in some way, I think uh, Claris and its community got a head start because we've been together on this journey for a long time yeah. now, for you know decades. And you know, I think um, the, the other part of that from from our perspective is that our we don't sell anything to a customer that delivers any value, right? And we give it a tool set yeah. and, and yeah. you gotta build something with it. The customer doesn't receive the benefits of the platform until something is built. And so it requires the developers in our community uh, to to deliver uh, for us, right? So, you know, in a very sort of, I don't know what to call it, shallow level, you could say that, you know, we care about selling licenses and getting revenue and investing in our platform and keeping this machine running. but None of that happens if developers aren't successful with our platform. So we care as deeply about our relationships with the community, I think, as largely the community does with us. Well, uh, let's talk about you before we get into community and everything. Uh, you mentioned that you worked at Claris and then came back. You were a developer. Can you share some of your um, origins, your FileMaker origin story? I've been waiting for this question for a year, Jeremy. I think we talked about it in Engage last year, right? And I'm like, yeah. I, I still want to do this. Um, yeah, I, I think I've shared with a lot of people in the community that I've known for years. But, um, you know, I think my, my story is, uh, well, I started in college, right? I was at university. I, I attended Penn State University. And um, I was an early Apple adopter. You know, I had an Apple II Plus back in the day when I was in high school. And when I got to uh, Penn State, I, I met this guy that ended up being my roommate, and we being, became best friends, and he had a Mac. And uh, I was turned on by that a thing, like that, that technology just grabbed me right away. And so uh, the two of us, for whatever you know, opportunity came to us, ended up meeting the Apple uh, sales reps there, and we became Apple student representatives. And what that meant is we got paid a very small amount of money, but we did a lot of helping uh, computer labs set up Macs and networks and laser writers, which were just coming out at the time in the late 80s. And we were teaching people how to use the technology. While we were doing that, a lot of the software vendors worked with us as well, including Claris, right? And so um, the Claris rep would come on campus and we had access to the software. That was like free software for us. That was awesome, right? We had a massive competitive advantage as students, right? But we started digging into it. And I really wanted to be a desktop publishing guy or an artist or something. That's where I was kind of inclined but then I had to pay my way through school. And there was a job opening for the summers uh, with the Penn State College of Agriculture to develop FileMaker databases and systems uh, for either doing, um, we were doing financial management for county extension offices, or we were doing, uh, believe it or not, animal growth tracking uh, for, for farm shows where they're selling 
pigs and cows and things like that. But we were putting it all together on FileMaker in 1988, right? And that's where I kind of got my start. And then I started interviewing hard at Claris uh, as I came out of university, it literally uh, in Boston and DC and Atlanta. And I finally landed a job in Atlanta uh, to join Claris. And so I moved down South and joined up there and became a sales support rep. So I was doing a lot of demonstration and teaching people how to use the platform. And from there, I've done everything you can do with uh, FileMaker. I've been a trainer. I've been an author. I've been a sales rep. I've been an SE. Um, I've, you know, now I'm in marketing uh, and I'm working with communities. So I've, I've kind of done any job you can do except for coding the platform. <laughs> okay. There's my long, arduous yeah. uh, origin story. <laughs> it's nice to hear that, you know, somebody at Claris who's been there for 20 plus years is using the, pla has used the platform. And while you probably don't use it every day, you probably don't, I don't know, do you build stuff every day? You, um, you know, I, I don't build stuff every day anymore, right? When, yeah. There was a time when I, I really felt like I was pretty good at, at, at FileMaker and uh, I was doing a lot of trainings, a lot of you know t technical seminars and webinars and things like that. But uh, these days, uh, my, my interaction with the platform is more in the realm of testing new features as they're coming out, evaluating ideas internally as engineers are putting them together. I, I do have the privilege of working really closely with the product teams. As, as a product marketer, I need to be very close to the engineers and the product management team, uh, Rick Hellman and the team. Um, so I try to stay close to the platform, but I'm not building deeply for specific use cases like I used to do when I was consulting. And I do miss that. But Okay. But at least you have that, you have the background that we have that we are we are currently in, so you can kind of empathize with the the normal filemaker developer out there, right? I, I hope so. I, you know, I think so. And uh, and uh, you know, I love. There's nothing that's more rewarding to me than than talking to uh, customers and developers and hearing about the magic they make with the platform. Um, I think uh, uh, what's the, uh, the the framework that you all put together? Uh, is it um, Carbon? Uh, what's the uh, uh, yeah Carbon? Yeah. Thank you. We, we were looking at that at, at uh, DevCon last time we were together uh, in person, and I was just knocked out, right? Like, I can understand the work that's going in there, the purpose that you guys are building towards, and I thought it was really, really fabulous, right? And it's that kind of stuff where I, that, that, that excites me, right, to, to see how far our customers can, can take the platform. So, you bet. Well, well and, and now you're head of community. Is that your title? What do you do at Claris? I, I do lead the community team now as well. We have a team that uh, focuses on uh, the community forums, on our academy um, uh, content, as well as uh, partner uh, relations and, and marketing. And so I, I still play a product marketing as well. Um, so I have a lot of hats I'm wearing right now. Uh, in the marketing team, but uh, I try to sort of provide, I don't know, technical influence on the team to make sure that we're, we're at least telling the truth and we're accurate in, in how we message the platform. And then um, I think with community, it's a relatively new role for me. I'm, I'm defining some of that, but we already had a great team there. Um, I just uh, want to get more of my own uh, time on the forums and talking to customers. And so All right, Andy. So you are head of community. You're starting to get out there more and talk with us, I saw you, I've seen you on FM Disc a few times in the in the past. Um, you have been on other podcasts. You're getting out there and and, and spreading the word and, and doing the evangelism part of your job too, right? Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I still get to do that. I still like yeah. to do that, right? Um, I mean, I spent decades traveling the world and uh, meeting up with uh, local groups as well as you know customers and um, you know doing those kind of presentations. And so now that we can kind of now this is our new normal, right? We can do this very fluidly and jump on a camera yeah, and meet yeah. each other from around the yeah. world. Um, I, I hope we can continue to do that even more, right? You Do you enjoy getting out there, talking with people and presenting the same thing over and over again? 
Um, yeah, generally speaking, because I, I think it's uh, even if you're sharing, uh, you know, a, a thing, a demo of a product release or something like that over and over again, um, you're, it's still the reaction. It's the conversations that, that stir, right? And the ideas that you get. You know, I spent years as a systems engineer and a sales support rep doing demos, and you never learn the product until you uh, show it to you know, a dozen customers and you get a dozen different questions and, and all of them are hard. You got to figure them out. And then you're like, okay, I, I, by the time you're done with that, you, you kind of know uh, what's going on. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I love getting out there and sharing the story. Well, I'm glad you're here with us. You know, we at the Context Podcast here at Proofgeist are, are strong advocates for the Claris, for Claris and for the for the community in general. And Andy, as you're here, we just, we want to make you sound good, just like at DevCon 2006. Listen. Good morning. Can you see me in the back? Oh, we have the benefit of this, right? Because I look good. I just want to make sure. Um, oh, yeah. Thank we want to make you look we want to make you look good, Andy, here. <laughs> I, I will never live down that moment. You know, it, it's funny. It's a, I, I had a habit of kind of figuring figuring out some way to embarrass myself almost every year, right? And yeah. uh, it's part of just being a presenter and, and being human. Um, but yeah, I, I distinctly remember that that day because I got on stage. and It was one of our larger attended uh, events. And the, the hall that we were presenting it was so wide that like I could barely see the people in the back corners uh, on either side of the thing. And um, and so I got out there and I couldn't see them. And so my natural instinct was, can you all see me back there? And then out of the corner of my eye, I, I'm reminded as I'm seeing that, of course, there's like a 20 foot diagonal screen with my face on it. So, of course, they can see me. Right. So I, I didn't even know how to react. And that just came out. And uh, it's funny. People have recordings of it and I, I will never live it down. <laughs> yeah. No, probably not. Probably not. Well, so. Well, good. Um, so I've got a couple topics that I'd love to bring up with you about. Again, these are things that I've kind of seen around the community as pe- as people have questions about or are wondering about. Um, the I'll, I'll just list off the topics here, and we'll get to as much as we can get. And if not, we'll we'll come back and do a part two at some point. But. I'm really interested in the community. I am a strong advocate of the Claris community. I want to see it grow and do well. So I'm really interested to hear what you have to say about that and plans, if you can, you know, whatever you can share about that. Um, I want to talk about uh, product positioning, just like where is FileMaker? What is your overall vision of it? Where are we going with it? And all that. Uh, I want to talk about your your agile uh, process, the move to develop uh, FileMaker in more of an agile manner. Okay. And, uh, yeah, just see. Well, I'm interested to to hear what those because all of those all of those topics are raised a lot in the community, and there people are wondering about it. So I hope to I hope to uh, share some light. And as we talk to more Claris people, I'll bring up these same ideas and see what they have to say as well. All right. right on. Hopefully we're consistent, uh, but no, happy to talk about any of those. That's great. So let's talk about the community. Like I said, I'm a strong advocate of the community. I want it to grow. I learned FileMaker from the community. So I'm, I want to start off at the very top. What is Claris's and your vision of an ideal Claris community? Hmm. Um, I guess there's a, there's a couple ways to look at that. Um, we have something we call Claris Community, which is our online forums, right? Um, but I, I generally think of the word community in the broader sense, and that's our, our literally developer community around the world that, that uses our platform every day and 
care deeply about it. And so I guess I have a different, maybe similar answers for, for either. You know, I think with our online forums, uh, there's always some, there are always limitations to a platform, a tool set that, that, you know, you kind of want to try and figure out how to solve for. I, I think that, uh, what I want out of out of our community structure of the forums that we have is um, better experiences, particularly for new customers that are that are coming on board. Uh, we have a very vibrant and growing uh, corner of the market right now, and a lot of people coming to low code platforms like ours. And part of the best thing that we have is the broader general community, right? I mean, we have an extremely welcoming and helpful community of, of uh, developers, and so you know, ways to get people engaged in a, a sort of I don't know, let's call it graceful fashion, a welcoming fashion, and in, in a clear fashion, right? Because there's a roadmap to follow to really adopt our platform. And so there's a lot of things that we're looking at with community. We've done a number of UI updates on the forums to uh, make the experience better. We'll continue to do some more of that. Um, also, I think the, the longevity of our platform uh, means that there's just a ton of resources out there. And so one of the things mm-hmm. that's on our near-term radar is to uh, figure out ways to organize uh, the journey for customers at different you know, places in their adoption of our platform so that they can get to the things that they need uh, more and, and understand where they are, right? And don't have to search around between you know, various formats and, and things like that. Um, it, it, the more general sense in community, um, you know, I think that I've benefited so much by being a part of the community over the years, by being able to reach out and touch other people in the community and, um, you know, I think we're at a place now where we're learning some new behaviors this year, obviously, you know, pandemic related, but we're all uh, getting pretty facile of being virtual, right? And uh, you had mentioned uh, getting out and doing the, the developer groups before. And, you know, it's interesting to me that I can go meet with a developer group now, but the attendees for that group are coming in from around the world. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, the geographical centricity or locale of a, of a developer group is less and less meaningful, right? And so it'll be interesting to see... Um, how developer groups themselves evolve uh, to have a purpose, a brand, and an identity that's more than just the fact that they're in Portland or Los Angeles yep. or New York, right? And um, I, I think we can figure that out. Uh, but for my part, you know, I want us to be engaged. Uh, ideally, I want uh, Claris to be uh, a part of the community and uh, actively in- involved in conversations there as best we can. You know, we, we have resource limitations, um, but I think we need to have a pulse, and uh, that's really important to me. And, um, you know, I, I think we need to, it, you know, we'll get to Agile after a while, but if we don't get feedback from the community, Agile doesn't work at all, right? So we mm-hmm. need to have you know, good, clear lines of communication that are bi-directional so we can get those things. Um, these are all intent more than maybe an ideal vision. So I'm, I'm okay. maybe not be answering your question the way you expect, but uh, again, I'm trying to get my legs around uh, my current role. Uh, but I think we've got a lot of big ideas and intentions to, uh, to get better at how we work with community. So. Well, you mentioned you mentioned that you learned a lot from the community being able to to reach out. I assume it was was it the email list that I've heard of the legendary email list when you yeah, were learning was back in the day, right? Um, yeah. Wow, what what a uh, terrific um, waste of bits. I, I, don't, I don't mean that in the negative sense about the content being shared, but what an inefficient way to communicate, right? To replicate an entire community's discussion on everybody's uh, email inbox. Um, but no, those things were great because I, yeah. I think the fact that they showed up and you could answer them at your leisure um, on all time zones uh, from around the world, uh, they, they served a purpose that it's almost hard to match with the modern you know, cloud-based forums, right? It's interesting that you, know, you and other people that I've interviewed have said, yeah, I learned a lot of FileMaker 20 years ago, whatever, when it was just the email list. And now we're trying to 
get a community that has a lot more stuff in it. And I'm just, you know, I'm just wondering, you know, wasn't it effective just as you said to read emails and is that just not is that just not doable nowadays? Do people not learn from reading emails the same way that y'all did 30 years ago? Yeah, you know, I think that um that's a that's a good question. Um and I, I don't know that I consider myself a, an expert in, in the science or the field, but, you know, I think the way that I watch, say, my children who are now in their 20s, right, they're, they're young adults, um, but I, the way I watch them interact with technology, um, they barely, if at all, use email, right? They're constantly mm-hmm. on GroupMe yeah. and Slack and other public forums. My daughter streams on Twitch and YouTube and she uh, has followers, you know, which, so it's kind of a, a live adaptation of the Facebook original concept, right? The stalker yeah. network, but you're doing it in a, in a live visual fashion. Um, and she also mods for folks who stream and have millions of followers, right? And raise ridiculous amounts of money. So there's commerce involved in that communication. That's kind of interesting. Um, you know, I, I don't know that certainly to your question, I wouldn't go back right to high school. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't go back to an email list server, uh, but I think that we have so many ways of staying in touch with each other, uh, whether it be through video or online forums or, yeah. you know, text channels uh, like like a Slack platform or something like that. Uh, we just need to adapt and figure out how to stay in touch. So. Yeah, that's that's always the that's always the hard thing as a former teacher. I I was being a teacher. I was teaching fifth graders how to divide while I was learning FileMaker. So I was kind of on both ends of a learning spectrum. Right. I was a teacher and a learner. And I recall that when I was just by myself and trying to ask questions in community, I got a lot of great help. But until I joined a partner firm and until I went to DevCon for the first time in 2012, I really felt more isolated. And that was, again, that was now 10 years ago. So things have changed so much that mm-hmm. it's possible to to do more, to, to provide more learning resources. People always say, well, I'm a visual learner. I'm a reader. I just want to go at my own pace. Do you feel like you have to create content for all of that? Or are you kind of laser focused on just a certain kind of content that you're going to um, teach FileMaker with? Yeah, that's a good question. I I think we we do think about uh, mixed media in different ways that that people learn. Um, It's interesting. I was in a meeting a couple of years back. but uh, we we're having a meeting about you know book book based learning, right? When I learned FileMaker and I learned all the other yeah. technology that I learned, I had a big book that left you know with a cracking spine that was sitting you know flat on my desk while I was learning to do what I was doing, and um, that was great. I still have a bookshelf behind me of all the FileMaker books from you know all the way up to thirteen, I think, and every version going into history. Um, but yeah, people don't. I, I made a statement in this meeting a couple of years ago that people don't do books anymore. And uh, I almost got yelled out of the room by somebody from, I think it was Japan, saying, no, books are still important. You know, it's regional. Uh, their bias isn't how people want to learn. So I, I think we have to solve for them. I think we're going to try and provide good online resources through our academy platform that are a little bit mixed media. And we also have to just facilitate good learning in the community. Um, there's some yeah. fantastic trainers in the community. And again, the streamers, there's podcasters like you. Some of us are going to learn by just listening to great minds talk, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so... We, we do think about it. We don't know that we can't provide it all, but we have a great yeah. community that that does uh, fill in the blanks on, on a lot of the important communications. So. I've always wondered, do you do you have any plans or thoughts around your partner community and the people who are producing content? Uh, you know, you, like you just said, you, Claris, can't produce it all. Do you have any plans to sort of like organize what people are doing? You know, Richard Carlton's streams, um, 
our write-ups, you know, all the work that people have done. Productive computing has some great resources to learn FileMaker. You bet. Uh, do you plan on bringing that into the fold somehow, at least making it, you know, a link to from your site? What are you thinking about that? Yeah, I would say sometimes yes, sometimes no, right? There's also, there is value in uh, sort of independent objectivity. And so um, not to pick on like Richard Carlton specifically, but since you mentioned him, you know, if Richard wants to go out and stream, um, I don't know that he wants to get approval from Claris on everything he says, yeah, right? And yeah. and I think it's good that he doesn't, right? That he's out there and he's sharing his opinions and he's going to say things that I don't agree with. And he's going to say a lot of things that are very helpful to my customer that I do agree with. And so, um, yeah, I think we... Uh, we don't need to be the sole arbiter of, of what's going on out there. And, you know, part of that is we also have to listen, right? When, when you guys are talking, when Richard's talking, when the Lara shells are talking through their uh, resources, um, that's good input for us too. Right. So yeah, yeah certainly I'm, I'm OCD in my personal life, but not so much uh, for, for kind of topics like this. Right. Yeah. You know, I, 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 as again, as a teacher, I want to collect all this content and, you know, Ideally, I have in my mind a list of everything that's ever been written or displayed about FileMaker, and people can just search that list and go and mm-hmm. find go and find what that is. Um, but I, I I get your point, and yeah, we we want to stay a little bit separate, right? <laughs> because um, we sure. may have a there's, there's yeah. complementary value there, right? And, exactly. But you know, for what it's worth, we are testing other ideas too. I, I know we presented at uh, I think at our last DevCon uh, two years ago. Uh, Brad was talking about some of the disruptive education channels that are out there and bringing students to the platform um, mm-hmm. through organizations like 42U, or um, we have some others that we're working with, uh, including our parent company, Apple, has something called Apple Academy that helps instruct people in different parts of the world on how to code, how to build software. And we have curriculum uh, working with them that's that's uh, giving our platform to students, you know, young adults uh, who are entering the workplace and, and want to find a way to you know, build economic freedom or independence. And um, those have been very, very interesting and successful, right? Because they're a mix of teaching our platform as a technology, along with teaching things like entrepreneurship and just raw problem solving or project management. And in some of the cases, those students are out there solving real world problems for NGOs. And, and it's just, it's fantastic outcomes. So um, we, we're looking at a lot of different ways to to get educational content out there and grow the community. Um, so that'll continue to be a big focus. One of the big themes of, of FileMaker and, and at Claris, I remember two years ago at, at DevCon, one of my favorite videos is the Power to the Problem Solving Solvers video. Uh, I think that was the last, the tagline at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so it seems like there's a, a shift to solving problems, using the Claris platform to solve problems. Um, have you, have you, when it comes to learning FileMaker, have you looked at it from that angle where instead of just teaching people how to use all of the functions that are there, teach them how to solve problems with FileMaker and give them, and then they can learn the list function or the substitute function in that context. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, (laughs) no, you're, you're dead on. I think when we think of, um, you know, sort of our customers and the persona and, and we use problem solver at that, that DevCon event. Um, you know, we think of people that have a basic technical acumen. When I talk to partners, there has to be a raw technical acumen. If somebody doesn't have an interest in technology, there's only so far they're going to get with our platform, right? Otherwise it's, it's just not interesting to them, but there's an axis of sort of business acumen. Like I can see value in producing something, right? I'm going to solve a problem in my business, or I see an opportunity 
that, man, if we just put iPads on those trucks and those iPads could do X, Y, and Z, we'd be so much more efficient and we would we would make money, right? So there, there has to be a little bit of sort of business or value acumen there. And then raw tenacity, right? The ability to drive a project and get it done and align people to get it done. And so, you know, when I talk to partners, there's mixes of these things that they look for in employees and in absence, you know, some acumen in any three of those axes, um, you have challenges, right? And uh, so can you teach all those things? I think you can, right? And we're actually piloting a program right now. I can't go into a lot of detail yet about it, but I'm hoping we can start talking about it in a few months. But it is to help people get into business and learn not just the technology, but learn basic entrepreneurship, right? Mm -hmm. Because we are a business platform, right? We are about making economic advantage for for your company, your business, or organization, or school. Right? And you and you're a you're a problem solving platform. I mean, when I, I I'm looking at different platforms right now to learn how to create like online polls during presentations. If I'm giving a presentation, I want to be able to let my users enter a link and then answer some questions that supplement what I'm talking about in in person. I don't care about the technical part of it at the moment. I care about, does this have the features, the the solutions to the problems that I'm looking for? Right. And so it's my, you know, it's, I've always thought power the problem solver. So let's, let's show more of the ways that we solve problems with, with FileMaker. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not giving story. you advice. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just. No, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think um, one of the reasons I came back to the company is because I get such a broad, uh, exposure to customers and developers and what they're doing with the platform. And to me, that that's exciting, right? But but funny uh, coincidence for what it's worth, not last night, but the night before I was working here, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, I have some construction going on in my house, right? So I had a low voltage wiring guy who was in the house and he was stretching wire around the house uh, that's going to improve our internet coverage. And he was uh, stretching wire for a speaker system for our new television that's going to go in. And uh, he was working all day, uh, drilling and making noise. But at the end of the day, I had to go down and sign his work order. And so I did, and he handed me an iPad to do it. Um, and as I gave it back to him, he goes, hey, by the way, does somebody in the house work for FileMaker? And <laughs> I was like, well, you're talking to him. Like, yes, I'm that guy. And uh, so he started telling me the story that he's been doing this low voltage wiring now for a number of years and starting up his own business. And he's got teams. And he was over the moon about this FileMaker platform that was on his iPad that I had just signed, right? And it wasn't something he built. He bought it. It was actually built by a developer uh, in you know, solution bundle agreement, you know, developer who built the platform. But that developer was also a low voltage wiring guy and had exactly the same business and knew how to solve the problems that were unique to them. And so this guy was so excited about how good that FileMaker system was that he was using uh, to run his small business. And he literally spent like 30, 45 minutes telling me about it. And what am I going to do? Chase him out of the house because I have to have dinner. (laughs) I was so excited just to, uh, to hear that story because it's rare that it comes at you in such a raw and objective fashion from somebody you don't even know. Right. But uh, boy, his problems were were solved and then some. So it was just, it was great validation for what you're saying. Is that person going to be at Claris Engage next year? Are you going to feature him in the closing session? <laughs> it's funny you say that. I, I didn't think about it at the time because he's just a guy working on my house, you yeah. know, but as he left and I was thinking about him, like, man, I'd love to tell his story and, and, and go call up the partner and uh, bring those things together. So maybe if we can do it, you know, the funny thing is, I think, you know, a couple of years ago, probably that same DevCon, I presented about Furnace Records, right? The vinyl record pressing company and how they used our platform. And so, you know, I'm talking to this sound guy who's setting up my home studio, if you will. And then I'm thinking about Furnace building the records. I'm like, I need to get these guys together because I've got a, I've got a horizontal or a very vertical uh, story on, on uh, getting music and entertainment into people's houses. Uh, using well, our when platform. you, 
when you share when you share at DevCon or in Claris Engage, when you share about solutions that have built, you you don't go up there and talk about the technical side of it. You don't go and laud the developer for using the fastest method to solve this problem. You just talk about the the way that the problem was solved, right? No one, your your uh, wiring guy didn't care about how it was solved. He cared that right. it the problem was solved for him, right? Exactly. So, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think um, I used to do what you're saying. Like I used to do a lot of technical presentations and, um, you know, I had conversations with this with a developer years ago where, where you were trying to tune, like, what do you bring to something like an engage, right? And, and at what level of technology? And I, I remember sort of confessing that, you know, it is scary to get on stage and present technical stuff. So I always wanted to have some mm -hmm. technology nuggets that would impress everybody in the room. So I would think about like the smartest FileMaker person I knew. Uh, and uh, I think Darren Terry, some of the old timers, Darren's still around. He still works with us. You know, he was a guy that knew FileMaker inside and out. I thought if I could surprise him, I'm going to be successful, right? But over the years, I've learned that, yeah, that's great for Darren, but not necessarily for everybody else, right? Yeah. And sometimes it's just, it's the raw value. It's, it's you know, when you tell authentic stories about how the platform makes a difference for a business or, or you know, people's real lives, um, that connects because it's what we, it's what we're for. It's really our purpose. You know, a, a, a turning point for me at, at our DevCon a number of years ago uh, when we were in Las Vegas was where um, I did a keynote presentation. It was around solely the concept of purpose. And we talked about uh, good works being done around the world to people in need that don't have technology or even infrastructure. And that our developers were making a difference, a positive difference in the lives of people that were suffering. You know, in many cases, it also showcased our technologies because it was mm -hmm. the reach of the platform to be able to deliver in places where there's no infrastructure, no power, no internet, and yet you could still deliver things and capture data and, and affect workflows that were helping underprivileged people, right? Um, so it was a technology story about the platform, but it was also about you know this community and, and just how powerful it is uh, in, in the purpose that people you know live by, right? And, and that that seemed to um, resonate really well with with the audience, and um, I love love those kind of stories, right? Yeah. Um, so here we are. <laughs> but but as people learn FileMaker, so you talked about the the Claris Academy, and I'm just I'm curious what your what your thoughts of it, if you can explain any like future plans because it it's had varying levels of success in the community. I, people are confused by like where is the file that I can download, and they weren't sure of the progress. People really miss the uh, FTS, the FileMaker training series, where they can just read it and mm -hmm. use the examples there. Um, can you speak a little bit about the the academy and any any tweaks that you're gonna you're gonna make to it? Yeah, we um, we had issues uh, previously in the in the uh, was it the app, custom app academy uh, with just the the foundational format of it, right? The uh, the systems that we were using were kind of inflexible and they were hard to maintain, and when the content got um, uh, you know, obsolete over time as version updates came out and things, it was really hard to keep them current. And so we did make an investment uh, last year in um, a new platform associated with community that will let us be more facile with the content that's up there. Mm -hmm. uh, now it's incumbent on us to deliver. Um, and so we we're also faced with the maybe compounded challenge now that the product is essentially 
uh, evolving in real time, right? We're, we're releasing it in an agile fashion. And um, so it's, it's not like we can prepare for 12, 15 months in advance waiting for a release and have just new content ready to cover new features. We have to sort of be up to speed on a continuous basis. So we're wrestling with that to figure out the best way to do it. And, um, you know, one primary area of focus right now is building the best onboarding journey for somebody who's purely fresh with the platform, okay. right? Uh, and doesn't come in as an expert. And so th there's a lot of uh, competing priorities and, and we've got to focus and kind of take it one step at a time, but we'll be evolving the academy and the content that we have forward as best we can in the coming year. Meanwhile, we do work with uh, training partners. You know, Chris from iSolutions is, is renowned around the world for his content and um, he's done a lot of work uh, with us as well. And so we'll have leverage partners like that. You mentioned before the RSLs at Productive Computing, they do some great content. Um, so we'll keep supporting the community as well. Let's talk about other parts of the community. Um, we have the online forums. Um, you know, there was, there's, it's evolved over the years from the email list to the, um, to the, what was it before? It was, uh, I forget, TechNet at one point. That was right. the, the familiar name for it. And now we've, we've transitioned to our, the Claris community. And there's, you know, there's been some, some, some bumps along the road, but, um, what are your thoughts about like the specific online forums and just how they're working, how, how things are growing there? How are you, how are people feeling about being part of that community, the online space? How are, how are people at Claris feeling or are customers feeling? Or customers. Uh, yeah. What, what is it? Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I think that what, what I, what I read as I, as I look at community, um, you know, the, sort of engagement or responses or tone, you know, things are all over the map. And, um, you know, I, I was speaking with a, a partner recently that, or a developer that I've known for many, many years and trust uh, and appreciate dearly. And um, uh, in the conversation, I, I kind of asked the question, like, Where, where's your primary source of information? And they said community. And I was like, awesome. Okay, that's great. So, um, you know, I, I, I want our customers to feel like the community is a good resource for engagement with us. Are, are there ways that we can do it better? I, I think so. We have a lot of people that spend a lot of time watching it. Um, we we read and listen to just about everything. We don't always uh, respond back. In some cases, you know, content is either at a emotional level, not necessarily an objective level in, in a way that we can respond. But in some ways, I think we can do more. So I'm hoping to accelerate the, the people who can engage and build some rules of yeah. engagement. So. Yeah, we are part of Apple, and and uh, I don't want to use this as an excuse, but when you're part of a company that is, you know, as large and, and has as much, uh, I guess, um, rigor in governance as as our parent company does, um, you do have to be a little careful about uh, you know, your public exposure. And there's PR, um, you know, mm -hmm. governance and and other things in corporate comms governance you have to be careful with. Um, but that said, uh, we are a B2B software platform and our customers need to know <laughs> where we're going, right? We can't, exactly. we can't be as secretive as the parent company in some ways. And so um, I'm hoping we can encourage more dialogue and, and that'll be something important for us. In there, the coming year. When FileMaker 19 came out, there was a specific thread that I very distinctly remember that honestly would have been solved if some engineer could have just gotten in there and said, here's the way it is that we did it. and that's the end of the story. But no, people had to, people were going back and forth about why it should be this way or this way. And yeah. I really, I was, I reached out to people and I said, can somebody just answer them and just be done with this question? So things right, like right. that, I think are, are important to, you know, to just say, yep, this is the way we chose and we're going to go with it, you know? 
Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's it's just a matter of uh, of capacity. There's you know fifty thousand yeah. developers out there that are you know uh, registered in the community, and there's a couple hundred of us, and that includes the engineers and everybody has to do primary work, right? And so we can't get everybody out, but uh, I think we can always strive to uh, to a higher standard. I actually participate in communities outside of FileMaker as a consumer, as a as a customer, uh, quite a lot. And, um, you know, I've played at various things in my life, like photography and other things. And, you know, it's always interesting to be part of a community like that, where um, I watch threads happen and you start assuming intent from the vendor. Right. And um, that's always uh, right. And and that's tough because that may or may or may not be true. But, you know, you sort of perceive that the vendor must understand my worldview and all of my problems. Right. And and then you assume when you see something that doesn't uh, match up or make sense that the vendor is either stupid or malicious or both, right? And uh, that's not always true, right? Uh, for for a platform that you know, like us, we serve millions of customers. Um, it's impossible to please everybody all the time with each decision. But you know, that said, um, you know, our our, our intent is uh, generally pretty noble, and, and we're largely pretty smart. So we'll we'll do our best to represent that. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it's good to hear that you read most everything people at Claris read most everything that's on there and see what's going on. Even if you're not always able to respond. Um, yeah, I know like Rick Hellman has said many times over the years, and this is true. I've actually witnessed it, uh, that he reads every bug report and feature request, uh, that comes in from the community. Uh, and he does, man, that guy is an encyclopedia. Um, so he knows, uh, what's going on and, uh, we can't always, um, you know, pre-announce our, our intentions or, or, you know, releases or things like that. But uh, generally mm-hmm. speaking, uh, we, we take it all into account. One of the uh, the thoughts that I've had is that since the transition from um, the, the former community to this newer one, there have been issues with the technology. And I think you said that at the beginning uh, of our discussion here. I, I wonder, it seems to me, and I, w- I wonder what you all think, but it seems to me there's been a decrease in engagement in there or a decrease of in uh, activity there. I'm just curious, you know, do you see that? What do you, is that a concern? What do you, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think it's a concern um, and it may, may not be, but I think it is right. And I only say it may not be in that. Is it, is it because of sort of shifting winds and, consumer preference for how we engage or is it something just fundamentally flawed with the, with the, the platform or something, right? So we, we do a fair amount of uh, analytics on the community to sort of look at what's happening out there and um, you know, see if we can divine some some wisdom there and, and then act on it. Um, and, and it maybe there are other things that we can do to uh, make it a more vibrant, uh, specific resource. Um, you know, I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about Engage this year and the idea of Kind of virtualizing it over time, which is a, it's a shift, but I, I don't think it's, a, I, I don't think it's a replacement necessarily for the event as much as it is a, a way to complement the event and get a, a communication channel with the community that you know could augment or complement the online forums, right? And so um, we'll uh, we'll see how that that bears out, but I'd, I'd love to see vibrancy in the community, whether it happens via one platform or another. I'm a little less concerned about. Okay. <laughs> um, as long as our tool is not the the the, the issue, right? And, and as long yeah. as our engagement on it isn't the issue, then if those are true, then we'll fix it. So that's interesting that you mentioned that there might be a shift of winds of how people are learning or getting getting forums. I mean, getting getting help. I mean, I I belong to a couple FileMaker Slack channels that people ask questions in and out, and that's that's a quicker way to get responses. 
not knocking anything about the technology of the of the community online forums, but it's just it's real time, right? It's it's people sitting at their computers being able to answer each other just that quickly. So, and I see stuff on Stack Overflow. There's other online forums that have popped up. So maybe there is something to that idea of shifting winds um, that that I hadn't you know, considered before. One, one of the other vendors I work with has a public forum, uh, but that vendor spends less time communicating on that public forum than they do with their customer base through Reddit, right? And it's like, wow, oh, that's great. kind of an interesting decision by them. And uh, I'm not wow. suggesting that we should make that same decision, but you never know, right? That's interesting because the, the, the one place to learn FileMaker for a while was the email lists. Not actually, I've I've read that, that or I've heard that from people that I've interviewed. That was the one place for a while before there You're were. You're so books. young, Jeremy. What? what? You're so young. Yeah, well, yeah, I've heard that. I, I don't experience any of that. But then, then came the forums, and that's where I learned FileMaker. I had a couple books, but I was able to ask people in not real time. But now on my Slack channels, I can ask people in real time how this mm-hmm. works or how to do this. So. That's interesting. Um, that's an interesting thought for sure. You mentioned content from other, from, from people all over the world. Can you speak to what you see and what you're excited about as far as how the, the community is, is, is educating people in FileMaker? That, that's a good question. Actually, it's something I'm, I'm kind of double clicking on right now. And I don't know if I've formed uh, opinions yet though. Um, but I, I will say that you know, chatting with uh, Mark Larochelle and, and over some of the stuff that they're doing with their online content, and and it's very it's tuned to a specific destination, which is great. I talked to Chris Hippolyte for my solutions quite a lot around his objectives for his learning content. I think all those are fantastic. But then, you know, like I said, we we have some of these engagements uh, with things like Apple Academy, where we're touching students uh, with a very, very specific objective to to get to financial independence, to get a job, right? And it is an interesting shift there when it's not just about learning that technology. The, the organization I mentioned before, 42U, they offer a free education. However, it's a sink or swim model. So you get in and uh, you learn, and then you go through a testing process that literally you're being thrown in the pool. It's called the Pachine. Uh, it's French, right? For pool. And so you get thrown in and you do a test. And if you fail the test, you're out of the program. So the people that go through it have a lot of tenacity, right? And they're really hungry and they want to figure out a way to, uh, to, to get a career. Um, I, I think that sort of the combination of technology with a business outcome like that is uh, very, very interesting to me because ultimately that's what we're trying to affect. And, and by the way, that, that classroom experience, those were students who came there to learn code. And then we introduce them to FileMaker and not all of them are accepted, right? Not all of them want to go to a low-code platform. But the ones that kind of get it, like this is a better path to a business outcome for me, then if they see that and they, they go after it, they've been really, really strong adopters of our platform. So, um, yeah, I don't know if I'm, I'm answering your question specifically there, Jeremy, but I, I think there's there's new ways and new models for, for teaching and sharing and learning. And I'm really excited that those things are happening. Yeah, I, I see a ton of stuff in the community, and I'm glad to be a part of being able to provide some content for people to learn. You know, my focus for a while now has been the JavaScript stuff and kind of breaking down the barriers for people to start using that in FileMaker in, in FileMaker so that you know they can apply that that technology to solve a problem because ultimately it just comes down to that solving that solving the problem. So I'm I'm glad to be a part and I it's really good to see people just talking about every part of the platform. Um, mm-hmm. 
And do you think uh, just a, I, I sort of think I feel like the platform is so extensive at this point in its capability yeah. and potential, uh, particularly when you get into integrations outside of the core feature set and like you're talking about with JavaScript, that we now have degrees of specialization that we didn't have 20 years ago, right? Yeah. Uh, it, it used to be possible to kind of master the platform and its feature set and really know every in and out of it. But I don't know that that's possible anymore. I'd be curious to see what your thoughts were. It's completely not possible. I mean, you'd have to, you'd have to, well, I'm not saying that. There are people who know a lot about everything, but there are very good specialists. And the the platform has become so big that you're right, that it's, it's it's good for people just to focus on a, a part of it and solve the problems that they have with it. I I think I say this every podcast that I talk that I interview someone with, but I met a guy Logan Cornelius at DevCon a couple of years ago who was in the platform for only a couple of years, and he was only using the integrations part of it, being able to call to an API and bring in the stuff, bring in the the data, and obviously adding records and stuff. But he wasn't focused on repeating fields. He didn't know probably anything about that or auto enter lookups or anything mm -hmm. like that. Some of that legacy stuff that people still use and, and are, it's part of their development. So yeah, I think that that's, it's become too big. The JavaScript stuff, someone could be a JavaScript developer working to solve problems in FileMaker and know nothing about ESS or the server for that matter or anything. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Well, see, where are you going then goes to sort of uh, my thinking on the platform. Um, you know, as we, we're in an era now where it's different than it was 20 years ago as well, and that there's a lot of uh, platforms that are calling themselves low-code, right? And, yeah. and they just mean many, many different things. And when I think of that sort of limitless nature of our platform right now, uh, to me, I feel like that's a fairly unique qualifier for, for Claris and FileMaker, right? And okay. I, I look at what our developers can accomplish with it. I guess there's, I hear thematically over and over again customers saying, that if I can't be, do it with FileMaker, it can't be done, right? You never have to say no to a project. If your boss needs something done, you can figure out how to make that work, right? Because you have this kind of limitless uh, potential. And, and even if it's someone like me, I'm, I'm kind of a low-code jockey, right? But I'm not a JavaScript guy. And I don't have the, at this time in my life, the time or acumen to really become that J JavaScript person. But we have the JavaScript capability in the platform. And when you build something and you share it through an add-on, I'm all over it, right? I'll take that and drag and drop it into my app and make something of it, right? So I, I think we're trying to um, really understand at, at Claris that this platform is for a broader range of customers from somebody who is you know, specifically a no-code, if you will, person, just wants yep. to manipulate data to people who have defined their entire career on using our low-code tool set and are, and are really professionals, right? Delivering professional solutions uh, with our platform, but really not coders, to then having a low-code platform that actually is appealing to coders as well, that don't mind having low-code in their portfolio because of the advantages it gives in productivity, right? And so um, we, we have a lot of focus in the platform that goes to satisfying across that spectrum uh, right now, but um, it's a broad one, right? And I think it's it's kind of cool to recognize. Does it feel too broad sometimes? There are many low-code platforms out there. There are also many high-code platforms out there. And you just said, you know, you're trying to make Claris FileMaker to kind of fit both worlds. Well, I, I think, you know, there's the um, sort of abstract argument or, you know, are we defocused or unfocused, right, uh, with the platform? I don't think that's the case. Um, I think we've been pretty focused on uh, where we're trying to, uh, you know, advance the platform and implement updates to it. You know, we've got to modernize and keep this platform competitive and, and useful over time. So I, I, I don't think it's really a matter of defo or, you know, losing focus. I think there's there's sort of a complementary equivalent to this never needing to say no, 
uh, that goes to the the depth of problems that we can solve as well as problem solvers, right? We have a lot of customers that come to us because they've tried out another low-code platform that's you know kind of a list manager in the, in the cloud um, and ultimately run into a feature ceiling and then come to us looking for help, right? Yeah. Um, we've had significant organizations coming to us because they wanted more um, more power over the user experience in the UI, right? And they can't get that off of that pure play cloud platform. Or, you know, I look at the, um, the solutions we were talking about before where people are, you know, helping you know, uh, peoples who, who don't have access to technology and need to do that in an offline fashion where there's no internet or power and yet they can do it and sync later and all those things. You know, this pl the platform is just so flexible. It's important we don't lose sight of, of the depth that's there, right? And, and that we get too focused that we start throwing things away that are, are just fundamentally important. But I, I think we know, we at Claris, we know, we understand or we believe that we have a professional low-code platform, right? It's not a lightweight tool set, right? The, you, we need to solve for the, the tough problems. We need to allow you to deploy anywhere on whatever platform you want in online or offline fashion. We will use cloud to our advantage, but we will you know, remain adherent to the advantages we have on-prem, those sorts of things. So uh, while it's broad and expansive, I, I don't see it as a negative for us. I see it as okay. a positive. Wonderful. All right, good. Um, just a couple more thoughts about the about community in general. What, how would you like to see the community grow, generally speaking? This not just the online forums, but where can the community of developers who use FileMaker, who develop in FileMaker, how can it grow? I'd say there's probably a, a lot of ways that parallel uh, the direction for the the platform. You know, as uh, as the concept of low code is becoming more understood and mainstream and adopted by organizations that traditionally have been very resistant uh, to low code. I think we have the potential to grow the community, not only with, you know, kind of a prototypical developer who's new to technology, has some technology acumen, but isn't really a coder or a programmer, but then they, you know, our platform enables that, right? That's the, kind of the historical, how do we get in that new fresh face who can then grow up and become a, a very, you know, solid developer, right? Um, that's still important. We still need that. But at the same time, I think uh, platforms like ours are going to be better understood by IT, right? And uh, we need to have a platform that's ready for that, the community that's acceptant of IT engagement and scrutiny, right? And um, they're where we can answer the deployment security problems and all those enablement problems and integration issues that, that enterprise cares about. We need to understand governance, right? So I think there's a, a number of different vectors, if you will, that, that we need to be um, open to growth uh, against in the community. We have a lot of IT expertise in this community, right? Uh, we can prove that to the world and do great things. So. All right, wonderful. Let's 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 talk a little bit about uh, Claris Engage um, DevCon, as it's it keeps getting called. Do you still use the word DevCon? Or... You know, I do. I try to be kind of specific that DevCon are all the events from two years ago and, and prior, right, or three years ago yeah. now. Um, but uh, you know, e either or, it, it's it's all yeah. good for me. I've been around long yeah. enough. So uh, we uh, we um, started Claris Engage a couple of years ago, and then the COVID uh, pandemic hit, and you all had to pivot and um, do something different. Last year was really pretty successful, I must say. I think I think it was a lot of fun. You know, there were people like I think couldn't get in or see the speakers after a thousand users had logged into the WebEx or whatever. So there were some technical things, I'm sure, but. Overall, it was a it was a fun time and a, and a pretty good success. Um, and this year, 
talk to us about this year. What did you like learn from last year that you are trying to do? And I think, you know, I definitely want to ask the, 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 the obvious question, why are you still, why are we still going virtual and why is it spread out over the year instead of just one concentrated time? Well said, those are the, those are the two sort of things, right? Um, yeah, last year, um, we, wanted to do an in-person event. Uh, we started realizing in February, March, as the numbers were starting to accelerate exponentially, that that didn't look very likely, right? The outcome wasn't going to be a positive one. And so um, we did uh, what now in hindsight was exactly the right thing to do and virtualized it. And um, we held on to it for a while though, right? We, there were, we probably could have made that call a little sooner than we did. And uh, so we pivoted and what you know, I, I, I tried to advocate with the team as we put it together that we really try to preserve some of the things that made the in-person event so special, right? Like that I go to DevCon every year for 25 years prior, and I want to hear smart people talk, right? I want to hear what Ernest and Todd are thinking about, right? And, um, and, and have conversations or at least listen to them, right? What we, what we decided to do sort of in a format manner is uh, put a lot of panels together last year. Let's just get people talking on topics uh, that that we believe are relevant uh, to people in the world. And um, of course, we also brought in our engineering team and did kind of the classic under the hood session so that people would have an idea of where the platform is going. And, and largely those were, you know, I don't know, um, evolutions of what we've done in the in-person conferences for, for many, many years. And then uh, something additional and magical happened. You know, we, we were limited in the, the platform software that we could use. And, and we ended up, excuse me, going with, uh, I, I don't know which conferencing thing it was, but yes, we had some, some issues with uh, people above a thousand attending at the, at the same time where they lose video or something like that. And that was unfortunate. But, you know, the video conferencing technology at that point was not particularly advanced in, in the wake of the pandemic, right? I think this year it might be better. We'll see. Um, and then the the other thing was that uh, the other magical thing that happened was that uh, you guys helped us out, right? You built the uh, the auto enter, right, and, and put the Slack channels out there that anybody could uh, go and participate in. Um, and to me, that was the power of community right there, right? That we have uh, community partners that can do that with that tool set that we we literally did not have access to by policy. We couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, so it was great that y'all did. And I remember Todd calling me up and saying, Hey, is this going to be okay that we do this? And I was like, go for it, man. I'm all over it. And, uh, I'll be there the whole time. And, uh, I was amazed at, um, how many people did show up and participate in that and, and were there the whole time. Like we really sort of expected that people would come and go, uh, throughout the day with some of the uh, sessions that we had. And it was really uh, kind of neat. Uh, it made it feel a lot more like the in-person event. And so I talked yeah. to a lot of partners there and that was, that was really fantastic. Um, this year, you know, with a, a year on where we've been doing video conferencing, uh, you know, day in, day out, uh, eight hours a day, or at least if you're like me, it's eight hours a day, sometimes 10. Um, you know, I think there's, there's more of a thing now where the, the video connection like that, there, there's more fatigue and uh, the sitting around for hours upon hours straight. And, and, you know, last year we had folks logging in from Australia and Japan that were coming in at midnight and staying through till eight in the morning, right? And never left. I, I, I think our expectations were that, that would be less novel this year, right? In in more of a, a, a more of a hardship. Now that said, th there are people who would absolutely argue me, with me on this point, right? That want that and want to sit there for eight hours and be with everybody and communicate. And I totally get that as well. There, there are different opinions for a lot of things here, but we we decided we had to virtualize again. You know, sorry to your two questions. Going back to that, why virtual again? Well, virtual again because. We don't know, right? And it would be a big bet for us to put an in-person thing in place, charge everybody a lot of money, 
and then, you know, not be able to do it. And you look at, you know, other countries in the world right now that, that where the numbers are not going in the right direction or really, really terrible. We're not out of it. Right. And so for us to have a global conference and invite a bunch of people in, it just it doesn't make sense yet. So we had to stay virtual. And then it was like, well, could we get the same sense of community as last year? We thought there was some risk to that. I have actually attended a number of conferences this year, uh, virtual conferences. And to be honest with you, I, I, I dip in, see a session or two and I'm gone. Um, I was watching a conference by one of the analysts a couple of weeks ago, and it was a great performance by Jennifer Hudson, right? I'd love to watch that, but who has time, right? So I didn't do it. And I, I, we just felt that it would be a lot to ask for our customers to, to do one big event. And also that we could invest in a different way and try something new, right? Which is to spread things out over time. In, in my mind, uh, doing so uh, is a chance to innovate, to think through how we communicate, and capture some of the things you and I were talking about before. We have new modes of communication. Let's see if we can't capture some of that. And over time, we'll tune it, we'll learn, we'll get agile, we'll get better. We can still do things like bring our execs out to talk with the community, have Ask Me Anythings, do panels together. We'll bring the engineers out. We'll do under the hoods and talk about the platform and what our direction is for it. We would love to have thought leaders from the community and from our customer base come and chat about you know, important topics of, of how technology is intersecting their business right now. And we still need technical content, right? The, the people still come to uh, engage uh, in our download site to look for the best way to do X, pick it, right? Um, some, some kind of technical best practice. And so we still think it's a, a great opportunity for developers in the community to get a lot of exposure. Um, I had somebody who was pinging me the other day, like, well, I don't know if I want to do it online because when I go to engage and I give a presentation, you know, a lot of people see it, but if I do it online, who sees it, right? And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, when I present it or in person engage, you know, I get a couple hundred people in the room and maybe we record it for download later. But if I do it online, like you said, last year, we were getting a thousand people plus per session and ultimately had you know, numbers that were significantly higher than we ever had in person. And they endure, right? Because we keep them there. So I, I think there's still tremendous opportunity. And we've had a lot of people giving us uh, content submissions. I hope uh, if anybody's listening, give us more, you know, let's, let's get it lined up. And we'll get folks sequenced in over the course of the year. And then I hope that this thing can persist eternally. Like it may be a new way that we engage right over time while we still do in-person events uh, once a year, which we intend to do in 2022. So are these times over the year, uh, one was supposed to start in May. Is that, are you pushing that back? Like start it at the next time? There was, there's a dot on your um, infographic to show that something was going to happen in May. Did that not happen? Is that? Uh, you know, I, I think the, the infographic was put together to express a concept more than to a show a schedule, right? It wasn't okay, intended well. to be a schedule. And okay. so uh, apologies if that was confusing. <laughs> um, I, I think we'd like to kick it off as soon as we can. We are actually in um, our process of working through setting up a kickoff event uh, for it to kind of frame uh, the, the, the ongoing uh, you know, conversation that we'll have. And we can try out some different things. I know we're talking with some developer groups about potentially doing some things together um, where we can kind of, you know, add our brand lift to a developer group event or something. And so we, we still think we can do some great things that uh, facilitate, you know, community getting together. So these these designated times during the year, I'm going to start with a kickoff here. Are they going to be like deliberate? Like, are, they, are you going to do kickoffs like every time this Claris Engage Beyond starts up? Or is it just going to be a dump of videos released on YouTube and a communication going out via the blog posts or something? 
Um, I, I hope it won't be a dump of videos. No, I think we're, we want to do live content, right? And uh, I think okay. Oh, okay. Okay. just the idea of kicking it off to start the the ball rolling, the, you know, get, to get the train pushing down the tracks. Uh, we'll we'll do an event that uh, that kind of sets it up to uh, to frame things. Uh, we already have some great technical content that'll come uh, about new features that are coming in the platform, and so we'll definitely have those things in there as well. And then how we how we actually format it, like do we do one session and then we do another one a month later, a week later, whatever it is, that schedule stuff is is really TBD. We want to package it up in a way that people can digest. And it, there has been a lot of feedback that, hey, give me more than one thing, give me one hour a day, right? Give me more time I can devote to this. And so I don't know if we'll do that every time, but we may look at, you know, a, a super day where we do four hours of content and we can all get together and chat or something. Um, I, I know I'm sounding very non-committal, but really we're trying to be agile on this. Let's get some intent out there, work with our partners to figure out the best things that we want to, stories we want to tell, and then uh, we'll figure out the best way to tell them. Well, I, on two things, I honestly can't think of another platform that has done this where they're kind of breaking their conference over multiple days. But mm. I'm actually, I'm intrigued as a, as a, as a attendee, um, of this that, you know, once a quarter or once a month or whatever, I'm able to, you know, gather together with a bunch of people. Um, I think of it less as as a, a straight up replacement for our conference or breaking up the conference over time. I know okay. we presented it that way because we, we felt it better to invest in this new thing than to do a concentrated online event in October. Um, but I, I don't think of it that way. I think of this as a different channel of communication, a different model um, that complements our conferences. We, Like I said before, we do intend to get together in Nashville next year and have our next in-person conference. We're going to do that. I hope we do that every single year, um, you know, pandemics willing. And um, meanwhile, can we can we show different ways to, to get together in a virtual fashion and do that in bits and bytes throughout the course of a year? I think that could be really interesting. It could be. Have you, did you, did you have a model for this or did this just, were you, were you being innovative in, in creating this idea? Um, I I think we're, we're trying to, we're trying something new. So I guess I would, I would uh, claim the latter, right? Uh, We'll see if the innovation uh, bears out, right? And, um, uh, but the antithesis, we definitely had a model for, right? Like I said, we, me and a bunch of people on our team and other folks in the company, we've been to events all throughout the year. And they've been pretty miserable. So, you know, it's like, we don't, let's not do that. We, we did look at one uh, conference platform and um, we were uh, looking at how we might uh, execute on the multi-day event in October. We went deep on it. And then, uh, you know, I attended a couple of weeks later, a platform, a conference that was on that platform and it was the worst experience of my life. So I just didn't spend much time there and we didn't want to do that. I mentioned my first DevCon in 2012 was was an eye-opening time for me, and it was a way for me to start to get into the community. Um, I had been in FileMaker for a couple of years, but really felt like I learned a lot in that week of of DevCon uh, 2012. That was Miami Beach, right? Do you, you probably have all of these in your head? Like that's uh, where it was. no, I, I totally can't remember which ones happened <laughs> which year, but I do I do remember being in all those locations. Say hey, I remember Miami. <laughs> so and and I've always advocated for something to be done for first timers. I you know I, I worked with people to come up with the idea of of the um, the Claris Buddy. I know Wit FM took that and 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 handled it, but it was it was great to. To, to advocate for that kind of stuff. Do you do you have plans for that? Do you have thoughts for the people that you want to bring into the community that you're creating new content for to be part of this in a meaningful way? 
Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I think we we've tried to build ways in 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 I would call it uh, formats uh, for new p- people coming to the conference to get oriented every year and to introduce okay. them to people that have been there for a while. You know, we we always have internal company advocacy that go find fresh faces, go find somebody new that you've never met before, and and get to know them right. And um, I I would extend that advocacy to our community at large. We have a lot of people who have been here decades, right? And there's something you can learn from everybody who shows up. And like you said, when you come in and you're new, it's tough. It's tough to get in the mix. I went to a a CIO conference uh, 18 months ago now in person. And I was wandering the halls at that conference. I'm a conference guy. I've been doing this for 25 years. And I didn't know anybody. And it was really hard for me to insert myself into the the events that were happening there. So... um, yeah, I think uh, we we think about it quite a lot. We know that we're going to get a lot of new bodies into the into the community in the coming years, and um, so we're, we're definitely looking at ways that we can facilitate that onboarding. And, you know, some people are just introverted by nature. How do you set up a nice, comfortable you know way? I'm that person, right? Uh, this is yeah. why I struggled at that other conference. Um, you know, how do you set it up for that person versus someone else? Uh, but yeah. we'll, we'll do our best. We, we definitely have ideas. Yeah, I really hope so because you mentioned other conferences. I've d- attended a few online conferences. I don't know anybody in that space, in the React space, and I'm still fairly new to it. So I felt really like disengaged, to use a, a term, from from the whole conference experience. Um, again, it was the multiple day thing and that the format just didn't may not work. We're tired of it, like you had mentioned. So nice. yeah, I really hope you figure out some way to engage the people who are new to the platform. Uh, a buddy of mine is, is, has never attended <laughs> DevCon. He was really excited to go last year and then couldn't. So I'm interested to see how, like, how is he, how is he enveloped into the fold of the uh, larger Claris community via the the conference? Right on. So, yeah, good. Well, it, it sounds interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see. I think people are always a little nervous um, about something that gets changed. I hear that you know it's it's not going to be permanent. Although you're saying that this could be complementary to your to our yearly gathering. So next year in 2022, leading up to our time together in Nashville. This could still be going on, uh, smaller events that maybe lead into the bigger one. Is that correct? I, I think so. And I kind of hope so. You know, if, if we are going to be uh, fairly continuous with product updates and releases, how, what's the best way for us to communicate that? And having live dialogue around what's topical uh, on any, any given month or quarter to me is a, is a very um, a good way and a responsive way to potentially do that. So I think there's a lot of potential here. Um, you know, we'll see how it works out. If it turns out, that it doesn't over time, then okay, we won't do that. We'll, we'll find something else. But, um, you know, I, I liken it to, we were talking earlier about getting around to developer groups around the world, right? Yeah. But if, if I'm literally sitting in my room and I'm touching six different developer groups in a six month period and the same audience can attend all six of them, is it any different than what I'm talking about? Right. It's, yeah. it's kind of the same. And so uh, maybe it's just putting some structure and some purpose around, you know, something like that ways for this community to get together on a regular cadence and just talk. And to your point uh, previously about like experts or specialties in the Claris platform, the the first ever Claris Connect only user group popped up. I think that's right. up in Washington, but it has no, it's not the Washington user group. It's the Claris Connect user group. So right. I thought about starting a, file, a, a JavaScript and FileMaker user group. That would be, I think... It seems to me that's a, a good way to go with the surrounding technologies that are part of the way we solve problems in yeah. our platform. 
Um, I don't think we need a repeating fields user group per se, but um, we might need a might need a JavaScript one or a, um, API. I'd be more useful in the repeating fields one than I would be in the JavaScript one. But you know, <laughs> I, I hear you. <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. Good. So that it's it's good to hear that. I know you're you're still working on it. You'll you'll. Uh, do you have like is announcements coming soon? Are announcements coming soon, or are they still? Um, yes, announcements are coming soon and I won't commit beyond that on, on engage, uh, in that we have some priorities right now, which are, uh, about product, uh, launching. So we have more coming on the product, uh, in the near future, but we'll, uh, we're working on engage as well. And so, um, yeah, give us a little time. We'll get some news out. What do you, just one last thing about conferences. What do you miss about most about the, uh, the in-person conference that we have not been able to do for the past year and a half? You know, for me, having been around so long, it, I, it, it is straight up a reconnection with friends, right? And so um, uh, I had uh, uh, Martha from Codence and um, Chrissy Ferris uh, came down to visit from Proofgeist uh, to Atlanta a couple of weeks ago. And it was the first in-person customer partner you know, engagement that I had had in over 12 months, right? And it was just so refreshing, right? There's just such great people great partners and uh, the conversation was great to talk with them. So uh, there's a part of that, that, that for me is, uh, is really important. Uh, last year, you know, at our virtual engage, I started off my presentation in the keynote with, I miss you guys. And it, it's true. So uh, to me, that's, that's fundamentally important. And then, um, you know, it's the stories that you hear there. It's, it's what people are doing and how they're using the platform uh, that to me, I, I learned something every year. I learn many somethings every year. And so um, I look forward to getting back to that for sure. Well, next time we have an in-conference, in-person conference, you can sit in on my JavaScript sessions. So, I will. No. I'll be an expert. <laughs> or you can, no, I'll rephrase that. You can sit in the many JavaScript sessions that people from the community are going to present because it like is it. a big part of our platform now. How's that? <laughs> that sounds perfect, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. Because it is yeah. a big part of the platform. It is. And it's, it's you know... I stumbled into it and uh, just trying to solve a problem and it's become a, a thing that I focus on a lot, but there's a lot more, there's a lot more people asking about it in the community on the online forums. And there's a lot more people uh, presenting ideas and insights and stuff. So that's, it's really nice to see that. I, I, I have to say, so that's pretty good. I know. good. Um, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this, this nature of agile uh, if we can for a little bit. Um, I'm really interested in, in, you know, the, the switching and I think people are really interested to know, like, what does this mean for Claris? How, how are, there's a lot of questions. So why don't you just tell me everything you know about how you, you all seek agile software development, and then I'll see if I need to ask you some questions. Well, in terms of the, the sort of agile imperative for us as a company, you know, I think there's just a lot of probably very obvious factors uh, that are happening in our industry. The technology is just evolving at a pace like we've never seen before. And the competitive landscape is much richer than we've ever seen before. And so it was incumbent on us as a responsibility to our, our developer community to be able to be responsive, right? To move this platform forward at a faster pace uh, and, and keep it relevant and keep it ahead of the curve. Uh, and so we, we had to go agile, right? They're just doing it in the waterfall fashion and predicting 12, you know, 24 months out what we were going to need to deliver and then spending that time doing it 
you know, it's, it's too late by the time you get there. Right. And, and that's, mm -hmm. that's fundamental in the agile manifesto, right. That you can't meet customer expectations for two years from now, if you start now and, and you're guessing, right. So you get agile where you put your North star out there and you start developing towards it and you release and you get customer feedback and you iterate over time. You know, the great sort of, um, uh, that's what I'm looking for. Irony is, is that as a FileMaker developer, I always felt agile, right? I always put things into play with my customers that were not 100%, get their feedback, tune it, and, and you know, kind of release it forward uh, in an agile fashion to deliver exactly what they needed, right? Because you can juke and jive and you can adjust with the FileMaker platform so easily. So we had to do that as a business. And um, we, we adopted agile process, not just for the product, but across the whole organization. There was going to be no way we could do it in just the product organization and not have a marketing team that was ready to be responsive as well. Sure. And so um, that transformation has not been over the last you know year or so um, without hiccups and learnings and, and all sorts of stuff. But that's part of the process. And uh, But the result, I, I think, is, is good for us. I was looking at the numbers on our internal systems recently and We've had something upwards of like 90 releases uh, since we launched Connect across our platform. And the vast majority of those, no customer was ever aware of, right? They're dark releases. They come out. They're just focused on performance. They're focused on stability and code improvement or something. Um, so you, you just don't even see them, but they're making the platform better. At the same time, you know, we've advanced a lot. You know, if I look at the last 12 months and I package it up into a single sort of traditional waterfall release, we would have a big release, right? If we were to do all that right now. In fact, we'd have two releases on our server product because, you know, <laughs> we had to do yeah. Linux and then we had to do do it again because Red Hat kind of pulled the rug out from under us. So, um, you know, there, there's there's a lot that's happened in this last year. That ultimately is is the real value that we're going after. And, and to get the customer feedback to make it better has been critical. We've knocked down some bugs that have been, that were intractable before we got into this process. Um, and uh, we've got those out of the system now. So I feel like we're in a better place from a stability and performance standpoint than we've ever been. So one of the one of the consequences of Agile is that every FileMaker developer's uh, like timing of, of releases is gets thrown off. And so we're all we're kind of all out of sorts at the moment. Like May has <laughs> passed and there, you know, for a long time now, there's been a release sometime in May. And um, as, as of us recording this, it's, it's not out yet. Mm -hmm. Um, but that, again, that's a consequence of the agile process, right? Um, well, we actually did have a launch in May, right? We launched a product we, we, called yeah. Claris Connect for ASM on May 4th, right? And that was okay. a huge project for us. So, okay. um, you know, it's, but, but you're right. If I'm, if my mindset is still in the traditional one release per year, then that, that didn't happen and isn't going to happen. Um, but like I said, there's been, you know, 90 pushes of, of code out to market over the last 12, 15 months. And, um, and yeah, the, the Connect for ASM launch that we did do in May, that was a big deal. Uh, okay. That's that's a huge opportunity and a big engineering lift to do. But man, it's it's potentially uh, going to really impact the, la the landscape for Claris and our, our customer base. So. That's interesting because I, I haven't I haven't uh, honestly haven't seen it very much. I always I kind of thought it was part of the school like education. So and since I don't do a whole lot of development in that, it didn't. It wasn't on the top of my radar, but as a former teacher, you've lost touch. I um, have. <laughs> no, no, that's that's fine, it, and it is very vertically focused right now. But yeah. um, you know, for for the listeners who uh, aren't aware uh, of what it is, on May fourth, we launched something called Claris Connect for ASM, 
actually about a month and a half before that, Apple did a press release uh, to which they do every year. They do a, a, a PR day around uh, education, the, the education landscape and where their technology is. And they included a slide about our forthcoming product. And what it is, is we've taken Claris Connect, which is our integration platform as a service. And we worked with Apple in such a way that Apple can offer it to any school that adopts Apple School Manager. Apple School Manager is the platform that Apple provides to any school to manage their Macs and their devices, their iPads, et cetera, in the classroom and provision them to students for use either at a you know, one-to-one student per device or you know, shared device across students uh, you know, throughout the day. And so that, that's, that's a very important piece of software for Apple, right, in providing value to those devices. And it also enables other things like Apple's classroom and schoolwork uh, platforms, which make the devices even better. The challenge uh, in terms of the technology, Apple School Manager itself is not new, but to make Apple School Manager work, you have to get the student roster data for a school or a district Mm -hmm. out of a student information system, right, into Apple School Manager. And uh, that's a pretty heavy lift for an IT department. Although there are standards for integration uh, in ed tech, just like there are with other software, they're adhered to in a very inconsistent fashion. Uh, And as a result, most schools simply dump loads of CSV files onto a folder somewhere, and then some poor IT person has to take all those things and import them into Apple yeah. School Manager. Um, it takes hours, right? And yep. it's not and it's not live, right? If there are updates because a student changes districts or schools, then you, know, you got to update that. Well, um, what, what Connect facilitates is that. And uh, it turns that many hours process into a 15-minute setup, and then it can be a live connection. So mm-hmm. suddenly, Apple School Manager is much more valuable to uh, those schools. And uh, so it's, it's, it's important for a couple of reasons. One is that it, it proves what a cloud-scalable technology a platform as a service like Connect is can do in a new and different way than what we can traditionally do with our FileMaker platform, which is very sort of locally focused on workplace, right? And, and uh, its scale is at a different place, right? And, and it's focused on users and workers getting things done. This thing we can do, and it sets up the integration between these two software points, and then the school can basically forget it. And it's deployable anywhere and in, in, in a very short order. So it kind of proves that what that cloud technology can do to augment our technology portfolio. And then it introduces the Claris platform to schools that otherwise would never see us. Now, we've been selling to schools for 30 years and yeah. you know there's 14,000 odd schools out there have used uh, Claris FileMaker over the years and use it very richly. We've, we've mm-hmm. done a lot in K-12 education um, but this will uh, introduce the Claris platform to schools that we've never seen before who will then have uh, the Connect platform to integrate their ed tech and then may wonder what about that FileMaker thing I'm, I'm hearing about over there when I look at Claris, right? And so yeah. it offers an opportunity for our developer community and our partner uh, community to uh, you know, have more business, frankly, more customers, more opportunity to get into that space and solve for more problems. And it, it also suggests something that, uh, to, to shift gears for a minute, uh, that a lot of our partners ask about and developers ask about, which is, why doesn't Apple do more for Claris, right? And, you know, that's a common question. And it's an understandable question. We're part of Apple. We are proudly part of Apple. Uh, but we are an independently run organization. And our we are a B2B software company for business Apple largely is focused on, you know, electronic products that improve people's lives at an individual level, right? And so we have kind of a, a different go-to-market general 
I don't know, top level strategy. Um, but uh, in this case, the, the intersection of the two things made a ton of sense. And so mm-hmm. this is a great opportunity for us to work with Apple. And, and it could prove something that enables us to do more with Apple and other aspects of business. They also have a platform called Apple Business Manager. Who knows? Maybe mm-hmm. Connect could help satisfy that or, or, or some you know uh, facility to, to help out at ABM at some point as well. But uh, we're really excited about this. We, we think it's, it's pretty big. It'll introduce the platform to lots of new customers. And so hopefully we'll see a lot more K-12-focused uh, developers that are, are engaged next year. That was, I mean, that was my first database was a school information system, um, stumbling into it, building it for teachers. And that was the best part of it is that I could build it for teachers because I was a teacher and I knew what right. problems needed to be solved. And I mean, that was 2013. They stopped using FileMaker for various reasons, but I'm pretty sure that if they had, if they were still, if, if they would, if they would look at the platform again and see what is capable of now and how much faster it could be and, and so forth, and we could solve better problems that it would be part of the, of the student, that would be the student information system again. Well, so. sure. And as, as we've evolved, so has ed tech, right? I mean, education uh, technology, yeah, the, yeah. the number of software titles and services out there numbers in the thousands, it's a whole different technology landscape than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, and schools need to make sense of that all. So connect makes a lot of sense for, for schools right now to bring all those sort of disparate pieces together. And then you always still have the gaps, right? The places where you need something custom to, to stitch it all together. And so we think FileMaker has, a lot of utilities to life for schools. I, I hope to have someone on later this year to talk about Apple School Manager. So um, awesome. I, I hope that that gets to happen. Because yeah, you're right. Wasn't so much on my radar, but it is an important part of of the entire platform. Granted, for uh, for education, but now that I'm part of Proofgeist, we do a lot of work in education, so it's That's worth exploring. <laughs> All right, but let's get back to FileMaker. It was there's there was no release in the typical May. We all expect it to happen in May, and like I said, we're kind of out of sorts. So <laughs> that, but but the, the the that's just because I mean the last release of FileMaker was in December. There was an update in December, right? So uh, or was it January? I think we came out nineteen dot two dot two or three. I don't know. I'm losing my numbers too. Uh, there's so much happening. Uh, but no, I mean we we have had uh, what four releases uh, since nineteen. Uh, to advance the product uh, for for the on-prem installer, for sure. I know you're you're just in the first year of this, but are releases? How, how do you see release cycles going in the future as far as these these releases? Is it just four random times in the year, or X number of random times, or will it become sort of predictable? And you know, we'll know that around Claris Engage or October or November, we're going to see a, a, a an update of features. Can you yeah, speak it depends. To I think it. I, I would guess I'm not maybe the authority on this one because I'm not in the engineering department, but I think it's going to depend a little bit on uh, the technologies we're working on. Um, you know, with cloud properties, it's it's easier to uh, to push updates. Obviously, right? Yep. You don't have to give customers a download uh, for the bits, and they don't have to employ them. And and there's a lot of provisioning we have to do to get the bits ready for deployment, whether it's on our electronic downloads or through Apple or through the App Store or what have you. Right? There's 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 weeks of work to get that all uh, structured out just to provision those things. But you know, for our cloud properties, it's it's much easier for the engineers to just push. Uh, mm-hmm. So it, it's going to depend on what technology is being hit. Um, I think as well, though, Jeremy, there's an aspect to Agile, which is that we're we're working pretty closely with the community uh, in in early testing as well. And for instance, if you look at the way we got a server for Linux out last year for uh, for CentOS, 
you know, we, we announced that we were doing it uh, about this time a year ago. And then I think we had three releases over the course of about a month each or a month and a half each until we got it to a place that we felt as a 1.0 in the fall and then launched it. I don't know that we can say that we'll get to a place where every month there'll be a drop or something like that. Um, for the cloud properties, we, we might have that where there's, there could be weekly updates, who knows. Uh, for uh, for traditional pro and, and the downloadable bits, I'm sure it'll be based on what features are we concentrating on and how long does it take to get there. So. Okay. Uh, in other platforms I've worked with, they have sort of a predictable predictable schedule of releases. We know around their big conference, it's you know there's going to be some updates happening. But and I was just wondering if that was the case here. But well, as I a mean, marketing guy, I'd love it to be that way, right? I would love to have the uh, conferences to synchronize with launches so we can make a bigger splashes and things like that. And yeah. so um, you know, I, I think sometimes we'll try and do that, but we're also not going to hold back technology for that, right? Um, so we, we have some launches that are imminent. I think there's a lot of people that are testing around them in some obvious areas or areas that are advancing what's already been in the product. You know, we've had, I think, three or four uh, launches around this notion of a quick start experience or quick app authoring uh, in the product over the course of the last year. Um, it's a very fresh and new thing, right? So I don't want to oversell it as, as a technology that we're all going to adopt right now, but it is an indicator of where we're going uh, to build a simpler no code, zero config, drag and drop model uh, way to create solutions. And um, we, we've gotten, I, I think we're coming up on our fourth update uh, of it. It's starting to feel real. There's some good stuff in there in terms of templating and in terms of the ability to build up your layout with some basic you know, button automations and navigations. And pretty soon we'll have relationships uh, stitching tables together. So it's starting to feel kind of good, right? Part of adopting an agile methodology is to um, listen to feedback from customers and add features or fix bugs that are brought up, you know, last month or two months ago. Um, and I, as I understand from just hearing, you know, hearing things or even just in my own head, you all had a list of features that you wanted to add and it was miles long and you just kept going. And I think that's a traditional waterfall approach where you have just a list of features that you all have decided on. And, you know, in three years, you have a set of features that you want to work on. But with Agile, you're listening to customer feedback faster. How Can you speak to how do you do that? You mentioned Rick list, reads every bug report and feature requests. Yeah, the the ideas page, I, I think the ideas page on community is uh, we read that all the time, right? Um, you know, Linux was one of the the top features that people are asking for, and we did it. And then uh, then Red Hat kind of changed the game on us, so we're doing it again. Uh, <laughs> what are you going to do, right? Um, but no, yeah, Agile is different. I think you, you put a North Star out there that you're trying to drive towards. Like if you look at this, this quick app authoring I was just referring to, you know, we know that we want it to be a simpler way to model up a, a solution with our platform. Yeah. Um, and it will be different. It has a different design language. It, it will sort of have to because we're doing it on a web stack, right? And so it's not the same thing as the design surface that's in Famic or Pro. And that has its advantages, right? And that like, we'll, we'll have a new navigation tool that's coming out soon. It's really cool. And I think a lot of people are going to look at it and say, I want that in Famic or Pro because it allows you to create one navigation element that works across multiple layouts, right? Oh. We've been wanting that for a long time, uh, but we can do some some things in a different uh, way because of that sort of flow document uh, format that, that the web stack gives us. You know where we take it. I would even say the UI that we have in there right now 
is completely at risk, you know, to mean that as customers come back and say, yeah, no, this doesn't work for me, or, you know, they're, we, we look at the instrumentation in the platform and people are missing obvious features they, they should be seeing, we'll go and fix those and we'll change them and make them better. So it, it will be more iterative and adaptive and, and we'll see how this uh, takes us. But um, yeah, we, we, we have our backlog. We still have the long list. Okay. And it's about prioritizing that backlog and, and figuring out what you need to focus on now to address the, the critical market needs and, and then getting the customer feedback as we do it. How Okay. So how do you get customer feedback? I, you mentioned uh, the feature requests. Do you have, is there a place that partners can go and talk to you? Can, you know, uh, one thing Nick Lightbody on a previous episode said, one of the best ways is to talk to an engineer specifically. <laughs> What what are the what are the you can best feel that ways? way? And and I think that's probably effective uh, when when you have the opportunity. Um, but I, I wouldn't advise it as a primary model for for getting your uh, your claws into the pro- the product, right? Um, I, I think we do a lot of research with our existing customers and and with new customers, right? We we have a lot okay. of uh, research that we do that's quantitative as well as qualitative. Uh, we see customers every day. Heck, even our CEO talks to a couple customers and a couple partners every single week, right? Okay. I think that Brad is uh, more in touch with uh, the platform and our customers and how they use it than, uh, you know, and I've been blessed to work with a lot of great CEOs at the company, but probably more so than anybody who's been at the helm. So that's that's really great. But our product management team uh, spends an awful lot of time uh, doing research and talking to customers. Uh, we certainly do in product marketing as well. And the sales team is constantly a funnel for us. Um, so we, we, we try to stay as coordinated as we can in our internal communications to bring all of that attention in. Our customer success team does a lot of outbound research. They don't just wait for calls of people that are having problems. They do a lot of outbound research to see what's working and what's not. And then we have community and we, we will watch and, and listen to it uh, every day. So I, I think mm-hmm. that, that will be important as well. One of the one of the thing one of the pieces of feedback that I've seen in the community is that they don't people don't know that you have attached to a feature and are working on it. There used to be the roadmap that listed features that you're working on or under consideration, and people were like, "Oh my gosh, hey, that's my feature. That's the one I requested or I voted on." Right, um, right. What's what's is there a plan going forward to let us know? Yeah, we we saw this feature and we are going to work on it. It's going to be, you know, Rick at one point said, yeah, the the no IE 11 uh, web viewer is going to be in the next release. That was amazing for everybody to hear uh, right. in, a, in, a, in, a, in a webinar. Yep. Do you have plan to do more of that? Where where do you plan to do more of that? Yeah, I, I think, you know, the uh, the level of uh, of certainty that you have uh, is certainly much better the closer you are to actual release, right? It's like any software. Um, so I, I think when we think about a roadmap that goes out a year or beyond, um, we'll probably be talking more to level of intent, right? Where okay. we see the market going and where we need to take the platform, what we want to do in terms of, I don't know, pick it, issues of scale or deployment or, or something. Um, as we get close to things and uh, we know that, yeah, we got to get, we got to rip IE out because Microsoft's killing it next year. And we got to get edge in there. Then, then we're going to share that stuff. I think we, we have a, a commitment to our community to, um, to be more uh, consistent in how we communicate. I guess there, there could be an ideal where we have a transparent list somewhere of, of all the things that are kind of on backlog and where they, where they are prioritized. I don't know that we'll get there real soon. Um, there can be controversy in that too, right? Like I said at the outset of the meeting, you have a million and a half active customers and there's a lot of different opinions out there. And so we don't want to get in a place where we're just having 
I don't know, spirited fights all the time over our prioritization decisions. But I, I think we do want to get to a place where we know, um, especially for like critical bugs that are out in market, that those are on our radar and that we're knocking them down and we're working with people to do it. So um, we're, we're trying to make this better, Jeremy. I think we want to up-level our um, early testing programs. Uh, we've had a lot of customers working with us on those. And I think as we went to Agile, there was a less focused uh, communications with our early testing programs. And yeah. um so I think they felt like they lost some purpose and felt a little less rigorous than than they actually were. Um, but those things are insanely valuable to us, right? We need we need a high level of uh, dialogue there that's uh, bi-directionally meaningful. So I think we'll probably take those programs and be looking at those in the short term as things that we can make better. Um, I've noticed that you um, that Claris people in webinars are talking a lot about the ETS program. It's not as shrouded in mystery as it used to be, or it's not just for certain people in the community for partners or blah blah blah. It's for anybody who wants to join. And I have recommended a few people, and I've said, "Hey, send an, your email to this address, and they'll mm -hmm. get you into the ETS." So you're going to your ETS program is expanding. It's becoming more transparent. And you just said that you're trying to um, re-shift the focus or re re um, refocus the purpose of it so that it is meaningful for those people who take time to test and give you guys feedback, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, as we have shorter timelines, sometimes it'll be difficult because um, I, I know some of the feedback I was getting talking with one of our testers is uh, that we used to know some months out when we'd have drops uh, for testing and how much time we'd have to give feedback and things like that. And in the agile you know, world where things are coming at, at a much more, you know, sort of faster pace, um, that may be a little, a little more fluid. We work in more uncertainty. That's just the nature of agile. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think we will do our best to put rigor around it and, and help uh, guide the testers that are working with us because we appreciate them uh, more than we can express. <laughs> I know this is this is kind of silly, but there's definitely some like um, pride in when you find that one of your features that you requested or voted on is being actively worked on. I right. know that that happened when you had those in the roadmap, and you know one of the things was the JavaScript integrations because I had been talking about it for a while. I assumed some like, hey, ownership in that feature being added. You know it, that may or may not have been true. I don't know if you all listen to me or not, but it was nice to see that something I was advocating for is in the product. And I, I don't know if you could ever do that in the community, say, Hey, everybody, this feature that we, uh, that we, uh, that you all voted on, this is being worked on. Exactly. We're working on it right now. Yeah, I, don't <laughs> I, don't know know. Was, I don't know if that attribution was true or not, Jeremy, but the code name was Jeremy Brown. So I don't know. I just take it. From oh, was it? Okay. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know yeah, I, I think a lot of people come to us with uh, feature ideas and it's like, I need this. And I'm like, well, I've never heard that before. And you hear it a lot, right? Right. Um, and it's just a matter of when you get it to uh, do priorities. But I, I would be shocked if, uh, if you don't deserve some attribution on that one. Um, so that, that's what you. I wasn't going for here, but, um, that's right. I think letting people know about their, about their impact on the platform is, is always a good thing. I mean, you, you get converts right there. You get people who are going to evangelize even more say, Hey, I was able to get something in the platform. So right um, how do you change to feedback? Have you ever like thrown away a feature because another feature became such a top priority because of customer feedback? Uh, yes. Um, 
I have one top of mind that I, I don't think I can actually share about, but the answer is yes. Okay. Um, yeah, you have to say no to a lot of things, right? And yeah. um, and to get to the the better yes, um, and, and you know, hopefully with the sort of shorter iteration loop that we have now, um, that those those decisions will be relatively small, right, in scope or in um, impact. Um, that will be on a path where we're, we don't have to make big deviations from a plan. And uh, in some cases where we were waterfall, those things can be pretty painful. And sometimes though, you know, you are doing investigations around the technology and you go after it to see if it's going to work and you find out that it doesn't. And that's fine too. I, I remember one yeah. of our customers, well, still, and for many years was NASA. And there was a, a test rocket launch years back. I mean, 20 odd years ago. And I was working with one of the, uh, one of the directors who oversaw this test launch and the rocket blew up. Right. And it got a lot of bad press on television because, Oh gosh, you know, NASA's lost it. They blew up a rocket. And he's like, no, we got so many learnings from that. That was exactly what we needed. It was a test. And um, so it really kind of reshaped my thinking a little bit, you know, to see that. And uh, that's, that's kind of where we are too. We, we test out a lot of different technologies. Some of them don't pan out, but you learn from them and you move to the next thing. So that's all good. Are there good places to go that we can rest assured that you all are seeing our feedback and are considering it? Is it simply the the feature request and the bug report area in the community forums? The, those those formal spots are important, and we absolutely pay attention to them. And there are, there are different uh, departments that get their claws in on those and, and read them on a regular cadence. So yeah, using the the, the formal things actually does matter. It's it, it may feel like a black hole sometimes, but we read those things. And I think if you're in our community platform as well, and you're talking around threads, uh, we're we're more likely to see those. We do we do participate in public forums as well. Um, but not as consistently. And so I don't want to overpromise on what we might see on, on a, a third party forum. Uh, but we generally surf around out there to keep an idea of what's going on, too. And, you know, when we have a chance to get together uh, in a format like this or we do a you know, we do the partner share voice or we get together and allow people to bring us questions or we go and do a, a developer group meeting and we have some some chance for some ask me anything dialogue. You know, we're always listening. So um, if you get it, like you said earlier, if you get a chance to talk to an engineer, take it, right? Like if we show <laughs> up at an event and, and you have a question that's on your mind, uh, I'm for my part, I'm always open to hear it. Um, mm -hmm. So, And you you all you all take those ideas and at least add them to the list, right? As I understand, 100%. it's like, yeah, 20 miles yeah, just long. By way of example, uh, I mentioned before, um, Brad Freitag, our CEO, talking to customers and partners and uh, doing so on a pretty regular cadence. A lot of those meetings with permission, he records and uh, we share those around the company. We listen to those, um, which is a pretty expensive thing in the amount of time. But some of them I play as background music while I'm doing other work. But you learn things, right? It's the best thing is to uh, to see uh, customers reflecting on the use of the platform, what problems they're struggling with, what things are really working for them and what their goals and aspirations are. And uh, we learn from that. We, we absolutely do socialize it. It's not we try not to silo our customer input for sure. Do you reach out to partners informally? Do you do um, like, hey, what do you think of this feature? Is, is, is we're playing with this idea? Is that part of your 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 process? Uh, for me personally, yes, absolutely. Yeah, um, you know, I've been a part of the community for many many years, and you know, like we said about Todd and, and Ernest before, I consider them friends. I consider many of the partners friends. And uh, so I talk to folks every week and uh, yeah, I'm pretty unafraid to share questions. I'm pretty, pretty adherent to policy on things that we can't talk about, but you know, you got to vet through ideas with the experts. I, I do not want to be the guy in the ivory tower, right? Um, I, I do a lot of customer advocacy within the company um, because of my track record in the community. And so 
Um, I, I like to know that I'm telling the truth. <laughs> so I definitely validate with uh, folks like yourself uh, who will take my call. You'll take my call. I probably am calling you. <laughs> I will always take your call, Andy. Thanks, so. man. I appreciate it. <laughs> Um, okay, so one of the things that I've, I've thought about with Agile is that it's it's faster to update. You know, you're you're releasing, you have multiple releases. In our in in in, in products that I've used that have an Agile um, process, it's really just me downloading the new update and then using it. Like if I'm creating a movie, I just produce the content, I give it to a client, and I'm done. Here. We have to every every person who uses FileMaker has to re-download the, the 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 update. Do you have any like? Are you you consider that all the time? I mean, you know, the client people want, still want the client, but it's kind of a cumbersome process when all hundred people in the in the company have to re-update FileMaker. Hundred uh, percent. Is that on your mind yeah. a lot? Oh, of course. Yes. No. It's it is. Uh... It is a double-sided coin, right? Um, It's a very traditional model for distributing software, um, but it also enables uh, the ability to work offline, right? And it's so, at some level, it's a key differentiator for our platform. It enables you to do things that you cannot do with a lot of cloud properties, but it doesn't share the same, as you say, sort of scale and responsiveness and, and other things that, that a, a cloud service can. And so, you know, we're trying to be, as we coin it, cloud smart. And um, that may sound just like marketing jargon, but we, we think it, we think about this a lot, right? That we need to take the advantages of cloud that go to scale and, and the deployment ease, et cetera, um, and complement uh, what we've got in our on-prem strength. Right. We need both. That's why Connect and Connect for ASM can work so well for some of the things that they're doing. And yet, you know, I, I, you know we, we have so many stories of people that use our platform in, to build, you know, ephemeral offline apps in the field somewhere yep. where they're just far away from from the home base. And um, we, we know we, we span that. We need both those things to work together. So we do think about it a lot. I know our engineers would love to be able to push updates out on a, on a sort of continuous basis. Um, the app store facilitates that a little bit, and that's been good for us on iOS, right? Those, those are a little bit easier to, to push or pull. Yeah, I, I think we'll get better at it over time, uh, for sure, even with the on-prem products. Yeah, because you're right now, we're always having to check, you know, build in code. Like, I can't use this new feature because they haven't, not, not everybody has updated to the latest version of, of FileMaker, right? That individual yep. holdout who was on vacation for three weeks or whatever hasn't updated their platform, their, their, <laughs> their software. So I'm kind of stuck. So I'm, I, we don't want to code to the lowest common denominator. We don't want to code right. to the, the lowest version of FileMaker. We want to, be up up to date so yeah mm-hmm. it's it's definitely it's definitely a, a an interesting dilemma or consideration that you all have to think about it um, does agile may help facilitate uh, some transformation there too you know when we're not pushing as big and meaty releases then it's it's potentially what we'll be able to get to more of a continuous trust of what's coming out from claris and staying current with it the the, the more that our customers are along with us in our current uh, with the platform it, it just I think there's a bit of a cyclical accelerator there, right? That we can continue focusing on that code and moving it forward. So, um, so yeah, your point is well taken. Yeah, good. Well, uh, Andy, this was good. I, I want to respect your time. Um, you've you've been with me for quite a while, and I'm I'm excited to be able to talk to you about this and you know just bring to you things that I hear in the community, and I'm interested into you know in, interested in your response. So, uh, you've you've you've. You've given us some great information, some, and, and I appreciate your time with us here today. 
Likewise. Thank you. And I appreciate you doing this. I uh, appreciate this, uh, this podcast, uh, Jeremy, and a chance that we finally got together to do it. And I hope that I, I get a chance to come back and do this with you again. This is I, fun. Will, I, I will do it every time you, you, you know, it's, I'm an evangelist here at uh, Proof Geist. You are, you, you were director of evangelism at one point, right? Was I, that, I was. It's yeah. true. <laughs> so I feel, I feel like we have the same kind of job and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's evangelizing the platform that you're working in, in my case, my company and what we do and such, but it's, it's really a, I, I empathize. I know it's a tough, it's a tough thing to, to be everywhere and to do everything and, and to get who you are out. So I'm glad that you're with me and you're on other podcasts. You're, you're being part of uh, user groups. It's really good that you are getting out there more. Well, thank you, mate. I, yeah. I very much appreciate it as well. So uh, yeah, like I said, I would love to love to do this again and please extend my best to Todd and Ernest and Chrissy and everybody on the team. So uh, very good. Well, thank you, Andy. I appreciate your time and we'll talk later. Thanks, Jeremy. And that brings us to the end of another episode of the Context Podcast. Thanks to Andy LaCates for joining us today and generally to the folks at Claris for being up for conversations about the platform we all love. Andy was a great guest and I hope to have him back again. In upcoming episodes, we'll chat with other people from Claris, from product owners to sales reps, even to engineers writing the code we use every day. So if you have questions that you'd like me to ask of Claris, please email me at thecontextpodcast at proofgeist.com or ping me in the various places I reside and I'll include your thoughts in the conversation. Also, please take a moment to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate reading your thoughts. Talk with you next time.